The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. Corporate sponsors may from time to time be the subject of buy and or sell recommendations in J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter. However, as host of Turning Hard Times into Good Times, J. Taylor retains the right to provide objective opinions on behalf of subscribers and to his listeners audience regardless of sponsorship. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. When you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. I am Jay Taylor, your host to Turning Hard Times into Good Times, and I am the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter as well. Our model portfolio has gained about 32% so far this year, and that compares favorably with the S&P 500, which is up only about uh, two-thirds of 1%. Our uranium stocks are really doing well. They're up 113% this year so far. Our speculative gold mining shares are up about 52%, and our gold-producing companies, our gold miners that are actually producing the yellow metal, up 27%. Oil and gas stocks are up 52%. And you can sign up for my newsletter if you'd like to learn more. Uh, you go to miningstocks.com or you can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426 to learn more about our newsletter or to sign up and subscribe to the letter. Well, the big question now in my mind and on the minds of many investors is whether or not this move up in the equity markets that we've seen here in the last few weeks is really something that's sustainable or whether this is a dead cat bounce. And to turn uh, to, to look for some answers to that, I've got my uh, partner, Roger Wiegand, on the phone. Uh, Roger, uh, are you there? I'm here today. What do you think, Roger? Is this a, uh, a dead cat bounce? Are we on to something sustainable? Are we uh, are happy times here again after we've suffered through uh, um, this de- decline in the equity markets? You know, the equity markets usually lead... The economy. So, um, and we're hearing some talk about uh, 2009 being uh, having the recession being over by the end of this year. Um, that's certainly some of the, the talk that's coming out of the Obama administration. What do you think? Is the equity market getting ready to? Um, is it telling us that we're the happy days are here again? Well, the happy days that are here again uh, aren't going to last very long, in our view. Uh, we're seeing almost a replication of the 1930s all over again. 
I, I think a little historical fact here would be appropriate. The first thing is is that in the 1930s, even after the crash of 1929, there was a, a magnificent uh, rally. Uh, things came back very strongly, and it fooled a lot of people, and they thought everything was hunky-dory and off we go again. And this old recession depression of the 30s uh, wasn't going to really happen. Unfortunately, as we know now, it did happen. And during that 10-year that period, that decade after 29, uh, there were six of these dead cat bounces. And some of those rallies were really quite strong, Jay. They went anywhere from 20 to 40% up mm-hmm. after a hard sell. Yeah. So, you know, people have got to be careful, and you've got to really look at fundamentals first and see where the underpinnings of the economy are and the stock market and, of course, all of our favorite trades. I think at this particular point, uh, we've come back in the number two dead cat bounce. We've got four more to go. Uh, we've been watching carefully for the sell and may go away event. It appears now that the way the setups are on the patterns on the charts and the technical uh, points that we check and look for, that there could be a, a uh, sell and may go away beginning somewhere around uh, midweek, the 20th of May toward the end of the month. You never can call these things perfectly on a top or a bottom, but the way the, uh, the way the technicals are setting up, that's pretty much what we see right now. now you're talking equities, Roger. What about uh, gold? What about uh, commodities? What about bonds? Well, the bonds uh, had a big sell back the past few days. Uh, over the past three weeks in our newsletter, uh, we were able to call the bond prices pretty accurately, going backwards from 126 on the 30-year all the way down to 120. Uh, there's a few days left to trade the futures on the June uh, long bond, but we're already looking at September for prices. And earlier this morning, they were trading under 120, but they weren't going that much lower. They were hanging right around at 119. So that price of 120 on the uh on the September long bond, looks like it's going to hold up. Uh, we like the TBT. I was too early to get in. Uh, I issued an alert and uh, told people to buy this uh, this particular ETF at 62. Uh, last Friday it was 52. I think it's up a little better than that now. So we're closing in on getting back to even, but I'm going to hang on to it because I think the best is yet to come. Excellent. Uh, and what about gold? Gold right now has uh, been kind of levitating. It wants to go higher. Uh, it sold off a little bit yesterday. Today we came back up. We were around 922.50 uh, resistance on the gold futures. Uh, we're, we're trading a little bit sideways, and it's looking a little bit peaky right now. Uh, we talked some time ago about two flying wedges on the stock indexes where the price had gone up steadily, it stopped, it fell down a little bit, it went into a continuation triangle, and instead of either going straight up again and falling down like they usually do, we ended up having another flying wedge below the first one. Our friend Bob McHugh, whom you've interviewed several times, uh, saw the same uh, unusual chart pattern, and we uh, discussed back and forth, and uh, we think that that's a peaking manipulation type move on the chart. Bob had mentioned that he had seen it before. I have never seen it ever because it, it is quite unusual. So we think that gold right now is going sideways at a top. 
Uh, can it go higher yet this spring? It sure could, depending on news events and other matters that we can't forecast, you know, in geopolitical things. Roger, you've had, uh, do you have any trades in on gold right now? Yes, we do. We've got gold spreads on our, uh, on our futures contract. And, uh, those gold spreads, we put them on at, uh, let me see, we, we put them on, uh, January 30th. Uh, they're up roughly, uh, let me see here, we're up, uh, $740. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got an open trade on soybean, uh, spreads. And those calls are up almost to the full value where we're going to take some profits on a half of the position. Uh, we've been looking for currency trades as well. Uh, we tried to trade the Canadian dollar uh, between 84 and 86, and the trade jumped overnight, and we couldn't really fill. So we called the trade correctly, but we really couldn't get it, get on that trade. Now, there's a lot of good trades that are coming in our view. Uh, we're looking at... Um, uh, more long positions on the metal shares, both for gold and silver, but we're going to have to wait. In addition to that, the second leg of the soybean spreads, uh, which are really cyclical on the growing calendar, those will probably be go out on an exit uh, sometime in the middle of June next month. Uh, the, the euro is going to be a good trade in both directions. The Canadian dollar is a good one for a lot of people to think about. The share traders can buy that on an ETF. Uh, we have that open in our letter right now. We put that on March 27th, and it's up, uh, I think, 5 or 7% already in that short period of time. We're looking for the Canadian dollar to go all the way up to a dollar, uh, whereas last week on Friday it was 86.38. Uh, the Swiss franc is moving up also, but we're a little leery of that one because the Swiss government is trying to cap that uh, particular currency. They're afraid it's going to get too expensive. So if you're looking for that kind of a run-up on the Canadian dollar, uh, do you have something in play for there uh, for that for the Canadian dollar right now? We do. We've got the Canadian dollar ETF, and if people would like to get aboard on that, I would recommend it. The code symbol is FXC. That is an ETF on the direct Canadian dollar, dollar for dollar. Uh, we suggested on our buy on March 27th that we buy it at 8010, which is close to 80. And our last price last Friday was 86.38. So it's one of the really safe ways that a trader or an ad and or an investor can put money into an ETF. It's almost like a savings account. And uh, we're looking, uh, even at this particular juncture, if you can get in on a pullback at 85, you should be able to make 15% on your money this year, and there's very little risk on it. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the more attractive plays out there, we think. Okay, Roger. Well, I think you've uh, given us a lot to think about. Uh, we'll have you back next week, of course. Um, so you're really looking at an equity market decline, probably uh, a short-term one, uh, a moderate decline beginning late May, and then a rally, and then the big one to come later in the year. That's correct. We, we see the uh, was a milder sell-off because of all the support from the administration, uh, the sell-off during the end of May, and then maybe down a little bit going sideways in a channel, a choppy channel most of the summer, which it normally does, and then kind of an upswing into Labor Day and a little bit beyond. And the last week or two of September, first two weeks of October, we would warn our traders and investors to be very careful and look out 
the cycles at that time we think could be a major sell. Well, thanks, Roger, and we'll look forward to having you back next week to, uh, to give our listeners an update on uh, where you see the markets going. Uh, we normally have Chen Lin with us in this section. Chen Lin writes, uh, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? And it's an excellent letter. He's had a tremendous track record of uh, investing money for his family, and um, and he's doing it now for uh, his subscribers. Uh, I just wanted to mention that Chen, uh, one of his most recent winners is Federated Agriculture Mortgage Corp, AGM is a symbol. It, uh, he recommended about um, three weeks ago. It's up 120%. We would suggest that if you'd like to uh, learn more about Chen, you go to uh, give Claudio Bossi a call uh, at 718-457-1426. Claudio Bossi uh, will be glad to fill you in on Chen and, and his work and also uh, send you um, a sample copy. Also, uh, we're coming up on break time here, and we really have a special guest today, Catherine Austin Fitz, and she's going to uh, give you a lot of things to really think about um, what is behind the U.S. economy, what drives the U.S. economy, and how can we best protect ourselves against what I believe she thinks is also some very difficult times ahead. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Catherine Austin Fitz. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Business Owners Speak fills a long-neglected niche in the national media coverage of American business. The myriad of challenges and opportunities facing small business owners and entrepreneurs are addressed at ground level in a positive, business-like manner. We face the realities of meeting payroll and being completely dependent upon the success of a business for which we alone are responsible. So loosen your tie, business owner, bring along your own experiences, and log on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Network. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. 
Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. When you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, today we are really honored to have Catherine Austin Fitz as our special guest. Before I say anything more about Catherine uh, or begin our discussion with her, I'd like to just make a note of her website, which I think you should really jot this down and uh, and pay a visit after our discussion because we're not going to be able to get anywhere nearly finished with Catherine today, that's for sure. Her website is uh, solari.com. That's www.solari.com. www.solari.com. Catherine is hugely unique in my view because as far as I know, she is one of the few people that was truly a member of the establishment who has escaped its clutches to talk about how it works and how it controls and manipulates the lives of average Americans. More importantly, as an investment advisor, she is currently helping people understand how to use that information to help them free themselves from becoming enslaved to the state. Catherine has worked as a managing director of Dylan Reed, and she was on the board of directors at that time. Uh, that was back in the days of the of Ivan Boski and um, the leverage buyouts. So she became disenchanted at that point in time with the parasitic nature of Wall Street uh, during the 1980s, and uh, she saw that the pension fund holders, the bond the bondholders, the pension fund holders that held the bonds, the shareholders, and the employees of those companies were really not giving the best uh, the best deal when the uh, these companies were leveraging themselves to the hilt. Unfortunately, it seems as though the same kind of parasitic activities are going on still today, but perhaps on a much, much grander scale than they were in the 1980s. So we're going to talk to Catherine now. Um, Catherine, are you there? Yes. Catherine, welcome. It's just really great to have you here with Thank us. Thank you today. so much for the opportunity, Jay. I really appreciate it. Well, your website is amazing, and uh, the things that you're talking about about on your website are, I think, a lot of Americans are not going to believe. A lot of people are going to say, this lady is way out there. Everybody, I never run into any of that. <laughs> I, I must tell you, you know, I run into two people, you uh-huh. know, one who says, I don't feel free to discuss it, uh-huh. and then the other just smiles and winks. They know I'm right, but they're not saying anything, and someone else says, oh, thank God I found you. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, I, truth is I what it's all about. I never run into anybody who says, oh, you're full of hooey. Yeah. You know, um, your philosophy, and I talked to you before this, uh, before before now, of course, and your philosophy really is to 
to try to understand what is going on, you know, the nature of the problem so you can solve it, right? Right, and my my real focus is how do we, how, how do the people interested in understanding what's going on and, and protecting themselves in a way that transforms things? Because most of my readers and most of the people I work with are very, very positive. Mm-hmm. And they want to know, what can I do? How can I... How can I, you know, most people want to be part of a great enterprise or a great civilization or a beautiful community. They don't want to be part of something that you can't be proud of. So I think for, for many of us, it's, it's how can I use my time and my assets to make sure that my family is safe and well and, and do it in a way that hopefully contributes to others. So that's the question. And I think helping, you know, seeing the game makes it possible for you to navigate but isn't that game a little difficult for some people to visualize uh, or or to even cope with or to think about it because people are so busy you know taking care of their lives going to work feeding their kids well it's funny i use um uh one of the things i do i have something called the solari report and we have a section called let's go to the movies mm-hmm. because one of the things i found you know in america fact is fiction and fiction is fact mm-hmm. <laughs> so i found that if you uh, and i've done this with my family if you just, you know, if you just give them over the course of a couple of years, about 25 to 50 movies, and you just say, "This is what you need to know," you know, "This is really true. This is really true." It's amazing how they can really learn to see the game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and it's funny. I'm told under uh, among college kids, The Matrix is the most popular, one of the most popular movies. So clearly, people know, you know, they because they resonate with the truth when they hear it, particularly in the movies. So I, I think people can understand it. It's I, the hard part is is how do you how do you how do you come to understand it when um, when you haven't seen it before? So the hardest thing in the world, Jay, is to look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm the Patsy, <laughs> yeah. and I know because I've had to look in the mirror and say that. So I I was um, assistant secretary of housing in the first Bush administration, and I couldn't fathom that all the corruption that everybody said was going on was going on, because how could it happen and me not know about it? Now, and who so was it, saying it was going on? Was it inside HUD, or was it outside, people outside? Of- well, it was both. Oh. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a public-private partnership, if you will. And, and so- you know, but a lot of criminal activities, systemic criminal activities, are run through and with the help of government, because there's no better way to launder drug money than through government accounts. So, um, uh, you know, it's very hard. I'll never forget right after Enron blew up, and I did a whole series of very successful radio shows on Enron called Anatomy of a Cover-Up. And um, I, I had been litigating with the Department of Justice, so I knew a lot about the law, the sort of arcane law related to financial frauds. Anyway, so uh, a very dear relative of mine called me up after the radio shows were over, and they said, look, I'm going to tell you something, but I don't want you to get mad at me. Um, and they said, we thought you were litigating with the federal government because you couldn't, you know, you were you were dug in about what they'd done to your, you know, they, uh, we were fighting because they owed us money. And now I realize you're trying to help your family and friends and, and country. You're just a patriot. And I said, pray tell, what happened that caused you to realize this? And they said, well, Enron. And I said, well, what's so special about Enron? And they said, you know, until I saw how I could be tricked, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe what was really happening, and I said, well, what happened on Enron? And and they said, well, I saw your explanation, and that made perfect sense, 
And then I saw what the official story was, and what I realized was it was a bunch of baloney. But until you had taught me what was going on, I would have been tricked again. Mm-hmm. And now I know how they tricked me. So, you know, I think, I think we're seeing that on the bailouts, Jay. I think people are really beginning to realize that all of these different excuses of, oh, we're incompetent, you know, so we can't figure out where 12 to $14 trillion went, and we have to give them the money, but we can't ask where it goes, or we can't take control of the assets. All of these excuses are no longer working, and people are finally beginning to see, you know, this, this is a scam. Well, isn't that going to lead, well, that's going to lead to, I would think, a, a loss of confidence in government, a loss of confidence ultimately in our financial system and in our currency. Well, I think it's, it's, it's evolving into a system which depends much more on force than on myth. Mm. So, so you, have, you have fewer and fewer people trusting the system and, and more and more alienated. At the same time, the system is getting more and more force and and using more more and more capital controls to force the capital back in. Because at the root of the issue, you know, America breaks down into 3,100 counties, and most political and economic power comes bottom-up through, you know, sort of the local area. And the question in, in every one of those 3,100 counties is how much of the bank deposits and the investments and other capital go to Wall Street and Washington and are directed and controlled from there. And if you look at what they've been doing with the law, you know, I call the Patriot Act the, ca- the Cash Flow Concentration Act. <laughs> mm. so, so, so in answer to your question, uh, how much of that local money goes to Wall Street? Most. I mean, if you, if you walk around a community and you sort of look at mom's 401K and the reserve at the church and the um, – I'll give you an example. I was sitting with a group of three women in Tennessee uh, about five years ago, and I realized that the woman to my left had her money in a – in a, in a local bank CD, the average Memphis rate is about 2.5%, and they were shipping it into a New York Fed bank, and uh, whose name starts with a C. <laughs> and, and then the woman across from me had her 401K, and most of it was in stock in the same New York Fed bank, starting with a C. And if you looked at their two... Um, uh, if you looked at, at their two sort of financial statements, basically that bank was paying about... Three to four percent for that capital, and then the woman to my right, who was a very good friend of the other two, had used her credit card to start her business. And after she'd used it, they jacked her rate up to twenty-three percent. And um, in the and the credit card was from the same New York bank. So basically, here you have three women who are close friends, who know each other, and and uh, you know two of them are getting say four hundred dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the other one is is spending about twenty three hundred dollars a year, and that's about a two thousand basis point arbitrage. Wow! So, but when you when you map out all the capital flows, you know, sort of we call it the financial ecosystem in a community, and you map out who's shipping their money to Wall Street and Washington, and then how how expensive it is when it comes back. What you're realizing is. The amount of capital controls we've laid on in the society really, you know, the Soviet Union would be proud. Well, you said something a bit ago that uh, that is troubling, very troubling to me, and that is that uh, government provides a safe haven, essentially. I mean, if I'm paraphrasing, a safe haven or a way for people to launder criminal uh, money that comes from criminal activity. Is that what you were suggesting? 
Yeah, and if you, I, I wrote a story uh, called Dylan Reed and the Aristocracy of Stock Profits mm-hmm. that describes sort of the background of, um, and it, it, it goes, it walks through one case study, but it really describes and provides tremendous documentation and uh, to support my belief that the, both Wall Street and Washington and the American economy is fundamentally dependent on dirty money. In, in this, uh, in, I guess it was in 1999, I was helping a reporter do research on narcotics trafficking in America, and the Department of Justice told them uh, at that time that the U.S. economy, the U.S. financial and banking system laundered $500 billion to a trillion dollars a year of all dirty money. So that's financial fraud, narcotics trafficking, tax evasion, everything. Mm-hmm. Now, given the explosion of financial fraud, my guess, Jay, is it's much higher. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the capital flows and you realize, okay, um, and, you know, we realize that this $500 billion to a trillion a year has been reinvested, presumably in, in buying up assets throughout the country and throughout the world. What you realize when you do the numbers is literally this money has taken over the economy. So, so we have a system which is deeply dependent on illegal money, and, and it's the illegal money that has the, the very high margin. There's a great, um, and I, I talk a lot about it in the Dylan Reed story and the, a link to the legal motions. In, in the early 2000s, the European Union, on behalf of 11 sovereign nations of Europe, filed a lawsuit against RJR Nabisco uh, pertaining to the time when Lou Gerstner was the CEO and KKR was the lead investor. It was after the leverage buyout. And they accuse RJR Nabisco of laundering um, drug profits with the Latin American drug cartels, the Russian mafia, um, Saddam Hussein's family, and this whole really cast of characters. And it's a 200-page primer on money laundering. And frankly, it's better than a Tom Clancy novel. And it's available for free online. So, so you know, but it, it's one of those occasional insights you get into how deeply um, ingrained these cash flows are. Yeah, that's free online, folks, at Solari.com. And, I, and I've looked at parts of that article. It's a series of articles. Of what, about 13 different chapters? Uh, yeah, it's 18 chapters, I think. 18 chapters. And uh, fascinating reading, folks. It, it really is. It's entertaining, if nothing else. But we, we're, we're not looking only to be entertained here. We're looking to try to understand the workings of our government and why uh, why things are blowing up as they are in the markets right now. You know, Catherine, a, a friend of mine and a person that we interviewed here, Dr. Robert McHugh, believes that we're facing an extremely difficult future. He He's looking for a very major decline in the equity markets this fall probably, uh, and he calls it a cataclysmic nation-changing event to correct the bull market that began in 1718, and the, sort of a grand super cycle Right. Viewpoint. And yesterday in New York, we heard Robert Prechter say much the same thing, looking for a major decline in the equity markets, not just a 1930s variety, but something much, much worse than that. Are these people a little bit nuts? You know, are well, they overstating the, the potential for, for chaos here? We have a very wide divergence of opinion. We have Elaine Gazzarelli, I think her mm-hmm. pronounced name, came out the other day and told her subscribers that the stock market's going up 40%. Yeah. And other people saying we're expecting a crash. And in fact, Jay, if you look historically at the PEs where the markets traded during prior recessions and depressions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you look at what corporate earnings are just expected to be, then logically the the you know the Dow should price out at about forty five hundred is my calculation. Wow. 
So, so there's reason to expect the market to drop dramatically. Now, let's look at, at what some of the wild cards are going to be. I think the biggest wild card is suppressed technology. There's a lot of technology in the labs or, you know, that's been held back, energy technology. And if we decided to integrate it, then you could, you know, you could more than offset any drop in the stock market and dramatically improve productivity in every household, every business, every, um, you know, basically every, every, every asset with equity in this country uh, just about could be dramatically improved in value. So, so that's one big wild card. The second big wild card is um, one of America's great strengths is agriculture. Mm-hmm. You know, we are bed basket to the world in many ways. We've got incredible natural resources. And, and the other wild card is going to be what are the geophysical changes. We know we're going through geophysical changes on the earth. Mm-hmm. A lot of it probably relates just to the natural cycle of, you know, Rotation in the galaxy as we yep. travel around the galaxy, mm-hmm. you know. So we can't change that. And and what what is that going to do? So, I think those are the two wild cards. And I can come up with scenarios where the market does go to back up to twelve hundred, fourteen hundred, um, you know. But I can easily see it going down to forty five hundred. Now, my expectation is we're we're in what I call a slow burn, mm-hmm. and a slow burn is where you've achieved sufficient capital control. And legal co- control, which I think the the powers that be have, so that you can systematically implode and and drain and destroy, basically, eat alive certain populations in certain places, but keep the system intact. So you can subsidize financial assets by liquidating the assets of certain people and certain groups. And and so, for example, I think we're seeing the middle class wiped out. Yeah. But I think you can you can keep the system going by wiping out the middle class without the system imploding. Well, what about this uh, suppressed technology you were talking about? Could you give us some examples? Well, um, if you if you look at all the different um, energy sort of uh, what's been possible with electric cars, mm-hmm. you know, there's this wonderful DVD out. Um, I guess it's called whatever happened to the electric car. Uh-huh. But you, you see all these different um, energy technology or transfer techno- transportation technologies that start to take off and then somebody buys them up or they're, you know, somebody falls into litigation or the inventor gets killed. Um, if so you, one, you avoid the competition that way. The, right. And, and basically what we've stayed highly dependent on fossil fuel and not let these other technologies really you know, blossom in organic ways, um, and and we've kept our capital focused on fossil fuel. And so, you know, if you if you go down the rabbit hole and start looking at all the different technologies and the claims of people, what they can do, you know, without debating any particular one, it's clear uh, it's clear to say, I mean, it's clear to see that we just have never let them develop openly. So my guess is our dependency on fossil fuel is primarily political. And and there's tremendous, um, you know. I think I think starting this year, next year, you're going to start a lot, uh, see a lot more of go green, clean technology. I don't know if you've interviewed John Rubino book uh, yet with his new book, Clean Technology. It's very good. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. I, it's certainly uh, worth considering. Uh, certainly, we should do that sometime. So know you know, I I think all of this stuff is you know could could make a dramatic dramatic difference. And the problem is when you bring it out of the lab, the question is who, who, who controls and who gets the benefit. 
So they're great big politics on letting this stuff go free. It's interesting on this suppressed technology issue. You know, I follow a lot of a lot of companies with new technologies. Um, I have in the past. Right now, not so many. And what we see a lot of times with these companies is uh, at least allegations of naked short selling that drives these stocks to oblivion, basically. Um, and sometimes more shares are being traded than exist. Um, and oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you followed that argument, but there right. is a growing uh, awareness, it seems, that there's a lot of well, illegal... Well, pro- one of the problems with our capital markets is we're literally watching the capital markets being manipulated with a with a help and backstop of Treasury. And we've got the New York Fed member banks with the exchange stabilization intervening in the market. And what they're doing is they're driving up the cost of capital to outsiders and driving the cost of capital insiders down. So literally, people's cost of capital is determined politically, not by economic performance, and it's being used to control not to encourage productivity in any way, shape, or form. So we, we're ending up with these Orwellian markets that, that encourage people to put their capital in wasteful things. You know, it was, it was horrible because during the bubble, I was so aware and knowledgeable about, about how significant the bubble was, and I couldn't persuade people not to put their money in the bubble. I mean, they, sure. it, they were destined to be wiped out. And so you would, you would say, please put it in something that's real, you know, that has land underneath it or has metal in the vault or, you know, that has something real but not in this phony baloney paper. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, was, it was destined to happen. And hopefully now we're coming back to real. Well, we're certainly seeing this cost of capital for banks, the chosen banks, the banks that have really, by all by all means, should go out of business. One would think if if we had a free market capitalist system in place. Right. What, what we're essentially saying is, their cost of capital is zero as long as they obey whatever rule we we order them around. So so so, for example, they can't pay the TARP money back if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can have an infinite amount of capital as long as they do what the boss tells them. We certainly do have agriculture. I'm involved very much in the mining industry, and I've seen how regulation has essentially eliminated mining from the U.S. Canada does a lot of mining. They're the companies, the the little companies that have the intellectual capital to go out and find the stuff in the ground. My son's girlfriend uh, got her degree in geology uh, from a, a liberal college in western Massachusetts, and Basically, her geology degree taught her how not to find metals, essentially because it was so it was so um, green orientated, so environmentally orientated that that she, you know, that, that we're just not teaching people to find minerals. And mining is a very basic wealth creating endeavor, as is manufacturing. We don't have that anymore, but as you point out, we do have agriculture. So what you're saying, if I understand you, is that there are these these bases of of wealth creation, but but really they'll be used mostly for the ruling elite and not to enlarge or to re- bring back the middle class. Well, let's see what happens. The, the clearly there was a policy decision in the 90s to not do those things that would preserve the middle class. Mm-hmm. We I was part, and this the Dylan Reed story tells the story. I was part of a group of people who basically said the middle class needs to improve their skills, pay down their debt, and uh, and change if we're going to preserve the middle class and and basically preserve retirement systems for the for the baby boomers. And a decision was made to do the opposite: was to encourage everybody to get into debt, basically to spend their capital 
living high on the hog during the bubble and um, and to not build new skills. So we basically see the baby boomers and, and that whole generation in the middle class spend 10, 15 years basically headed in the wrong direction if they wanted to preserve their financial security. Um, how did that happen? I mean, how who orchestrated that? And was it a group of, of guys? Well, in a room no, it was place? everybody. I mean, it, it it was interesting because you know certainly the American people have heard hundreds and hundreds of time about the deficit spending and all these different problems. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, certainly you had the banks. The it was both the Clinton and Bush administration encouraged and led the bubble because you needed fantastic amounts of government intervention to make the bubble possible. So you had Alan Greenspan at the Federal Reserve. And you had Rubin and Summers and, and um, uh, you know, the first Bush Secretary of the Treasury wouldn't go along with it, so he had to leave. And um, uh, so you had, the, you had the, basically all of G8 and the Treasury and the central banks um, going along and engineering this bubble. So this was a global G8 engineered approved policy. Is it driven by the people in power benefiting and becoming filthy rich as a result of these policies? Is that what's driving it? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think um, in my experience, generally these policies are made very strategically. I think a decision was made probably sometime you know, coming out of World War II that um, if we were going to preserve, you know, George Keenan said at the, world of, uh, at the end of World War II, we have 50% of the resources and 6% of the people. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do you how do you change that, and you know, and bring it into some kind of balance? Because what we've been watching around the world is the uh, life expectancy go up and quality of living go up in many ways around the world as as we sort of decline. Anyway, so 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 I I see very strategic management. One of the things I think people decided is given the speed of technology. And given the risk issues, they decided that democracy doesn't work anymore. And the frustration that the leadership had in crafting budget deals and getting any kind of fiscal responsibility happening through Congress, they reached a point where they decided, okay, you know, democracies don't work. Let's privatize assets out of governmental hands into private hands and basically run the world through corporations. And so for the last 20 or 30 years, what we've been seeing is significant amount of assets moving out of Either households in the in the middle class households mm-hmm. and out of government and out of community and into corporations at below market prices and then corporations moving liabilities back into government without any compensation. So basically, what you, what you're having is a, just a, a shift. All of all of the assets on the planet are basically being gifted to corporations that are not economically productive. I mean, these are not economically sustainable. Operations without massive subsidy from the from the common wheel. Catherine, so, we've got uh, this is incredible. We've got less than a minute left here. Um, I we've got to com- have you back sometime soon. But <laughs> what can we do? What can what can people do? They should go to your website to learn more. That's the first thing. But what can people do to protect I think the, themselves? The first thing we we have a system which is which is financially dependent on criminal behavior. And it's not something that we can just throw a bunch of guys in jail or it's a bunch of guys. It's the system. It's systemically dependent. So what you need to do, we need to get, we need to say, okay, let's look at my cash. Let's look at my investments. Let's let's look at my time. Let's look who I associate with. And you need to get as far away from the system as possible. 
because the way the system subsidizes itself is by eating you. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't want we don't we don't want that to happen, do we? Now, folks, right. you, you're going to have to go to Solari. Dot com and pick up more of Catherine's wisdom there. And, and I hope we can have you on again sometime soon, Catherine. Thank I you. would love it, Jay. Oh, thank you so much for your time, and, and we definitely will have you back because have. you've just touched the tip of the iceberg here today. <laughs> have a thank wonderful so day. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be back uh, with um, uh, Lena Monasaridis in a few minutes to get the picture from Europe. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. When you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Welcome back. I'm here with Lena Monasaridis uh, to give us the European perspective. Uh, Lena, could you tell our listeners again what your website is? Hello, Jay. Sure. It's great to be back, uh, by the way. Uh, my website is uh, spikecharts.com, which now changed to News Impact. We relaunched a new uh, website now. We changed the name from spikecharts to newsimpact.com. But if they type in spike charts, it'll... Absolutely. They're going to be redirected to News Impact, sure. Right. Is there something different about your website? 
Uh, basically, what we have done now, Jay, is uh, we kept the spike charts as we have uh, in the past, and now we have new services, as I talked about before, with a mobile phone that you can actually send a text and you can receive all the latest data on your phone, and also price alerts. Which they can, you can be alerted whenever your uh, in desirable level gets hit in euro dollar, in other currencies, and very soon we could have stocks, bonds, and equities. Well, that's fantastic. That means you it never is. get away You're from quite your happy. work. You never get away from your work that way. No, never. <laughs> it's all going to be there apart from the weekend, which we can actually relax and have the mobile phone switched off. Well, that's grand. Now, I have to <laughs> ask you, uh, sure. your blog today uh, was headed up with something like, I think it was feelings, nothing more than feelings. Can you explain what you're talking about there? Sure. Today's uh, article that I read, and uh, it's been inspired by the song as well, you know, the well, very well-known song. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we uh, put this into the market and what's happening at the moment, we can see that lately um, all the moves that we do in equities, stocks, bonds, and, in, of course, in currencies have a lot to do with how the traders feeling about the economic future and the economic outlook in general. For example, um, on Friday we saw um, – we had the non-farm payrolls, uh, which came actually better than expected, as they said anyway, and the feelings were really uh, positive, and everybody bought the, uh, the stocks and the equities, and uh, there was a feeling that maybe the market bottom is near, and maybe we are actually on the way to recovery. Uh, today, we had better than expected news uh, out of China. Uh, they, we have better than expected numbers, and uh, the European futures were up, and so far, it looked good for U.S. Uh, stocks to be up as well. And now we are, I think, 90 points uh, up on Dow Jones. Mm-hmm. So basically, we, we can see that whatever happens to the economic data, and because we are in economic crisis, if we have some positive sentiment, this is reflexed in the markets as well. Yeah, so people are looking for anything positive, but I think you were talking a little earlier about revisions that were made in the earlier numbers, and when you look a little deeper uh, at the numbers, uh, the payroll numbers, I think you were referring to, mm-hmm. uh, but this would hold true any time, and you really have to go back because revisions are constantly made. So if you if you make a comparison this month with the revised numbers of last month, uh, you know, sometimes it looks as though the decline wasn't as bad as perhaps it might have really been if you hadn't made the revisions to the prior month, right? Exactly. I mean, for example, um, when, we, when you're looking at the numbers, the non-farm payroll numbers on Friday, we had uh, job uh, losses we were, were 539,000. Uh, okay, they were fewer than the forecast, and everybody was saying that this is signs that the economy is stabilizing. However, I really don't understand that because you, you know very well that in order to have a, a stable economy, we have to, the U.S. economy has to create at least 100, you know, more than 200 or 300,000 jobs per month mm-hmm. to stay just stabilized. And we are by losing 540,000 and actually having the unemployment rate 8.9 percent, which is the highest since the '83. Um, we cannot say that that was a better than expected number. And the revisions, actually, if you take it all under consideration, we're making the number to be over 600,000 again. So Elena, really where are we going now? I realize, <laughs> geez, we only got 30 seconds left uh, in this, uh, this segment. Uh, what are your, uh, what, where are we headed for the market in the near term, the equity market? Well, the equities uh, seem to be positive today because of uh, of a better um, sentiment in the markets. However, I think that long term and later on, we might see um, another uh, leg down around 870, 880, and this has to keep in order to say that we have further upside for the equities. 
I may be uh, I may be misreading the monitor here. We may have more time than I thought. Um, oh, good, we do have more time. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we we got a few minutes left yet. So, um, sure. you, you know, we've been talking to. Um, I don't know if you heard our discussion with Catherine Austin Fitz. Sure, I did indeed. Yeah, and uh, there's some very interesting things Catherine had to say. Uh, any any response to some of her ideas? Um, the thing is that that uh, she 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 talked a lot about I suppose the government and how they work and uh, we I think it's one of the the things that we have said in the past that we said the Federal Reserve and Bernanke and how the whole system works and the printing of money. The fact is that we believe that uh, there is going to be some stabilization and some kind of uh, recovery in the uh, in the short term future. Mm-hmm. However, this is going to be very difficult because things do not change. And as she said as well, is uh, the the way that things are run at the moment is very difficult for things to stabilize and progress. So therefore, I believe that we might wait until we see something more um, sustainable over the, le- the next few months. Sure, indeed, and we we're looking at enormous amounts of debt that that have exactly. to be repaid. Mm-hmm. The ability of the American people to repay the debt, it seems to me that that's key. That's that's really key to a recovery, to I mean, any, any kind of meaningful recovery that we have in the future. Have you any idea, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Today we had a report for Capital One, which is a, a big uh, credit card company, and there is going to be uh, there. There was around eighty-two billion dollar in debt, and they say that. If you look at the unemployment rate, which is now 8.9%, the American guy who goes out to work, if he loses his job, there is no way to return the debt back, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if the unemployment keeps rising and the jobless claims keep rising as well, then there is no way that the banks will take money back their money anytime soon. So, therefore, this is not indicating a market bottom at this stage. Right, when we're certainly seeing the uh, credit cards, uh, the credit lines being taken away from Americans and uh, from average people too. So they don't have their ATM machines anymore where they refer to the houses as their ATM machines. They were drawing money out, borrowing money against their houses, taking vacations, buying fancy cars, uh, you know, and and, uh, of course leveraging up on their houses and buying bigger houses and living living like kings over here and borrowing money from the rest of the world. How can that go on forever? Exactly. And it's not just there, Jay. I want to tell you this is happening here in Greece as well, in Europe also, because there was news that at the moment and now in Greece, especially in Athens, when you go and get a credit card, 8 to 10 gets declined because the banks are not anymore giving out credit cards because they know that they will never get the money back anytime soon. So basically because the average guy lives on credit, and he doesn't have the money to return back to the bank. So it's a vicious circle, which is never going to go away if things don't approve. Lena, we were talking to Roger Wiegand, my partner, in the first segment of today's show. And Roger is looking at the um, – uh, he's, he's looking for a pullback here in the equity markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an interim well, – say by the end of May, a significant pullback. Um and then sort of a sideways trend during the summer, and then the big decline in the fall. Is that something that you might uh, that you might also envision? I would say that um, I agree with the pullback. Uh, we had a, a recent market rally in equities that was actually taking back all the losses that we saw from the beginning of the year, and that was due to the better economic sentiment. However, I believe there's going to be a consolidation uh, up to this point, and maybe we're going to have um, stabilization around 870. We're going to probably find a, a short-term bottom at the moment. However, I do believe we're going to probably have another leg up 
Uh, and then during the um, after after maybe uh, August or September, we may, uh, I believe as well, see another leg down because I think that things are not just yet over. And, I mean, I don't want it to be pessimist, obviously. However, I see that the, this thing is going to continue until the end of the year. All right, Lena. Well, thank you very much uh, for your views from Athens this week. Uh, folks, uh, next week we're going to have That's Mish Shedlock on. Mish Shedlock is another a real deflationist, and he's going to tell you why he believes, as does Ian Gordon and a few other people that we've talked to, why he believes we're going to uh, have a deflationary depression that's is bad or worse than what we saw in the 1930s, and Mish will also have some ideas about how you can best protect yourself against that event. So we look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.